Oh, my God. First off, first off, MetLife is a long way from Fifth Avenue, number one. And number two, that place is a dump. Not that long. Everybody hates the it's joint. It's seven miles. They're, oh, that's a it's terrible seven stadium. Yeah, that's dog, a terrible it's in our backyard. This that's is a terrible stadium. Everybody hates that place. I'm the Jets giant fan. This is the one where, Steve, they should put the game in SoFi. Plus, there's much more soccer being played in L.A. than there is in New York City. No kids playing soccer in New York City or New Jersey or Connecticut or Long Island. Southern California, they play the sport, for crying out loud. Oh, MetLife is a joke. And not only that, it's in New Jersey. It's not in New York City. Live and underway here on ESPN. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar for episode 325. Herc, it's Super Bowl week. And yet, look at that. Even our friends over on First Take are talking about the 2026 World Cup. Well, they're talking. They're talking. And actually, making a little bit of sense. I know Mad Dog, you know, he's probably had a few gummies. But he's he's on to something. (laughs) He's on to something. Steady, steady. Yes, uh, always good to see the, uh, the guys... On linear television, as they say, talking about uh, about the real football. All right, coming up on this edition of Football Americas, we got a lot to get to. We got a one-on-one with Matt Turner. Sam Borden sat down with Matt Turner earlier today. Of course, a very timely interview. Turner going to the bench for Nottingham Forest over the weekend, so we'll discuss that. We got Jeff Carlisle. He's going to join us to look ahead to the MLS season, which don't look now, Herc, mm. but it is just over two weeks away from kicking off. Plus. Speaking of MLS, we're going to talk about Inter-Miami, whose preseason tour just continues to get worse and worse. But why don't we start this edition of the show with Sunday's news, Herc, about the 2026 World Cup, which, of course, we know will be held in the United States, Mexico, and Canada. And, of course, over the weekend, it was announced where the games will be played the final July 19, 2026, at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, just outside of New York City. This uh, contrary to earlier reports that had Dallas as the winning bid. Dallas does get nine games, though. That's more than any other city. Among those games will be one semifinal. The other semifinal will be in Atlanta. And the tournament opener, which no surprise will feature Mexico, will be played June 11th at the Estadio Azteca in Mexico City, of course, the site of the 1970 and 1986 World Cup Finals. So we have it now, Herc. The next World Cup final will be played in the New York, New Jersey area. Are you cool with it? Okay. Let me start up telling you. Let me tell you why I am cool with it. Because okay. number one in my eyes, and in many eyes, and Mad Dog referenced it, SoFi. It's one of the most spectacular stadiums I've ever been in my life. It's probably by far the best stadium in the world today. I can't tell you how incredibly upset I am that... The powers that be, Stan Kroenke, who happens to own a soccer team, not one, but two, one of those being here in the United States, the other one being in Arsenal, didn't have the foresight for his architects or for the design to include a potential facilitating of a World Cup final, you know, ripping out the, the suites or, or retractable seats, whatever you want for the suites, whatever the case may be, to make it a final or just not care like Jerry Jones and willing to, to do that. It may have been concessions. It may have been negotiations with the city. It may have been negotiations with FIFA. They didn't come to terms. I'm incredibly upset at that. It should have been Los Angeles. 
But given the fact that it's not Los Angeles, I'd much rather have it in the East Coast, in New York, New Jersey, than in Arlington. The World Cup final deserves respect. Not that it wouldn't have been respectable in Arlington, but everything about the East Coast in that market makes sense if it's not L.A. And they have an, excuse me, they have an advantage that L.A. doesn't have, which is East Coast time. This is accessible to the world. If it was on the West Coast, it would have been um, a little bit more difficult as far as timing. East Coast makes it a little bit more easy. But Mad Dog's probably right in the fact that getting in and out of that stadium is going to be a pain. Uh, he's not right in the amount of football played. I'm from California. <laughs> I live in California. There's a ton of football being played here. But it's just not knowing your history. I mean, every single figure in U.S. soccer's history has come out of literally that place, New Jersey. Uh, there are plenty of soccer, plenty of football that's being played out there. That won't be an issue. But I don't have a problem with this, given the options. I'm cool with it, Herc. As an East Coast guy, obviously I'm going to be cool with it. And to your point about the history, there's some poetic justice here. At least if you look at the modern history of the game in this country, so much of it hails from New Jersey. So it's cool to see that. Uh, that state get, I think, a very well-deserved final for their contributions to the game. Um, I'm shocked at this announcement, not just because we heard for months, by the way, from both sides of the Atlantic Ocean that it was going to be Dallas, but because the obvious choice here from a risk aversion standpoint is Dallas. We talked about this. Dallas has a roof. And so you can control for weather if you have a stadium with a roof. It's interesting, as you read the articles about FIFA's decision-making here, they say they're looking at weather patterns. Have they ever known what's happened in mid to late July in the Northeast? I mean, there's a million ways, Herc, that this can go wrong for you. One, you can get terrible heat, which would impact the final, how the game is played. Uh, one, you could get terrible rain, which would impact the final. You could still play the game, but it will impact how it'll be played. And the worst case scenario is you get, and this happens all the time in the Northeast, in the, in the deep, deep of summer, you get a lightning storm. And then not only does it impact the game, it impacts, you're talking about, East Coast time, the reason you want East Coast time is for the television. And you get a lightning delay and your television windows collapse. Guess what, Herc? This is all about money. And what drives money? Your TV ratings. You, you get a delay, those ratings can, can literally collapse. So that to me is really the, the shock here. So you gotta think, well, why would FIFA take that risk? And I think it's what you're talking about. It's the perceived prestige of New York City. Now, I don't know what your opinion is, it is not my opinion that New York City is greater than Dallas or whatever, but Arlington. think about it from a FIFA standpoint, right? You're trying to talk to your international sponsors, your fancy European sponsors, to, to convince them to spend, what, $10, 15000000 million on an event, an activation. That's probably cheap, right? To buy a suite at this is going to be probably $20 million, if not more. It's much easier to sell that in New York City then I think it would be selling that in Dallas to the major corporate sponsors that FIFA is already has one and is going to be chasing for this event. So to me, I think there's a, a major risk here for FIFA, but obviously, Herc, um, they know what they're doing. What's very interesting is that what has not been announced is the time 
of the game. And that's going to have a bearing on the weather as well. If you remember back to 1994. You took it. They played, they played at noon local time do you remember out there that on game? the West Coast. Do you remember that yeah, game? Yeah, I do remember that game. And people remember the Roberto Baggio penalty miss. And they remember Brazil's kind of return to glory. It was a terrible final. Zero, zero. It was, it was a zero, zero. It was 100 degrees Fahrenheit yes. at kickoff. Yes. And you could, have, you could have lightning or you could have that in New York. That's a real possibility. Yeah, you, you took it from me. I was literally going to bring up 1994, the World Cup final, because the 1994 mm-hmm. World Cup to this day, till today, till this day is the most successful World Cup in the history of the men's game. Well, that final was one of the worst finals or worst displays of football you will ever see, given the fact that it was the last game for both teams. Players had no legs. You're in the dead of summer. Trust mm-hmm. me, I used to live in Pasadena. It's no joke out there with the heat. I'm glad you brought up the retractable roof. That would have been essential it's a safe in a choice, like and this. I think it's why yes. Dallas gets so many games, right, more than anybody well, else. So Jerry Jones can hang his cowboy hat on something. I think down there. the fact that Dallas gets so many games is a consolation prize for Jerry than it is that mm. it's a amazing venue, though it is. Yeah. But what could be cool too is kind of a redemption for Messi. If you think about. 10 years ago, what will have been 10 years ago at that time, Don't 2016 Copa America Centenario is, in, is at MetLife, right? And he misses the first penalty in that shootout. And if you remember, that kind of sparked his stepping back from the national team. So what a full circle moment it would be if he gets his second World Cup in the same stadium where you could argue it was the low point of his national team career, losing to Chile in that Copa America final. For the second time. For the second, for the second time. time in a year. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who could forget uh, 2015? Uh, should we mention Gianni Infantino's wardrobe at the announcement? Or oh, jeez. What was? It? Hey, I don't know hey, anything kids? about style. I don't know anything about style, bro. But I, I know, know you that, that was not in style. I, I know you. But the whole thing was <laughs> Is that cringe. a hoodie. And, and, and Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart, Cat Williams, Cat Williams, and I, we got a few things to talk to you about. Like, oh, okay. come on, man. There you have it. Uh, one thing we do know about New York, this is going to be the most expensive World Cup final ever and probably the least accessible. We were in Qatar and we wondered, you know, how many people would be able to make it there. There was a lot of folks from all over the world. You put, Herc, what do we talk about when you and I talk when it's not about soccer? You live in L.A., I live in D.C. All we, all we talk about is we complain about property values. The one place that has L.A. and D.C. beat, Steady. it's New York, man. Steady. It's New York. Dude, these tickets are going to be crazy. This is going to be uh, an absolutely wildly expensive World Cup final. Let's focus in on the U.S. schedule, Herc, because uh, we also have that as well. The U.S. is going to open the tournament on June 12th in Los Angeles, out there at SoFi. From there, they're going to go to Seattle for their second game and then back to Los Angeles for the third game of the group phase. What do you think of the U.S. setup? So, if I'm thinking about it just from the plazas or regions that teams would like that are desirable, it's a top three region. For, for my money, it's number one. I mean, weather, uh, accessibility, uh, just everything about it, facilities. SoFi is where you want to be. The U.S. men's national team made out. Now, I know people are going to be like, well, that's not where they ever play. Listen, the whole thing with the U.S. men's national team is to spread the wealth, go it around. And, and when the U.S. men's national team plays, I know they don't usually fill up football stadiums or, or large stadiums. They don't do it anyways, and, and, and if, when they do play, they play in soccer-specific stadiums, specifically in the mid- Midwest, to limit their rivals' fan base. That won't be the case here. I, I do see uh, pro-U.S. men's national team crowds in Los Angeles and Seattle. Let, let me talk about Seattle. I, I, I'm so glad Seattle is getting its due. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I know we hear so much about Soccer City USA, the soccer capital of America. This is U.S. soccer right now giving Seattle, the Pacific Northwest, its crowning moment. There is no city. There is no city in the continental United States that could presume its professional heritage like Seattle. Over five decades of professional football, NASL, USL, MLS, and that's only on the men's side. Indoor soccer, whatever the case may be, collegiate soccer, the Pacific Northwest is one of the prime examples of good football and its history in this country, and I'm so glad it's getting its due. Yeah, it's not your usual suspects, right? If we think about where U.S. soccer has taken the U.S. men's national team, when U.S. soccer is in control, it's a lot of Columbus, Minnesota, Nashville, Cincinnati. We've gotten some games in Orlando, a little bit on the East Coast, but we really haven't gotten much, you know, East Coast, certainly out on the West Coast, at least in recent history. There was a time when the U.S. played a lot of games, very important games out in California. Recently, when they play those big games, it's usually a CONCACAF event, right? You're going up against uh, uh, Mexico, and, and, and maybe the crowd can be difficult. I agree with you that I think the U.S. will have no problem, massive home field advantage in Seattle. I think it's going to be a little different in L.A. Of course, the recent examples are all against, like, your Mexico. Let's wait. Right, right, but, Herc, whatever whatever continent their opposition comes from, there are people from that continent and whatever country it is in Los Angeles. I mean, I'm thinking about the top teams in Asia, um, Korea, yeah. Tons of Korean Americans in Southern I knew California. You would say that. Iran. I mean, there's people from you know South America. You put you put a South American team in LA. Are you sure that the U.S. is going to have home field advantage? So, any other game, I would say no. They'd be massive underdogs in terms of what the setup is or the split mm-hmm. is with the fan base. But you know this very well. Americans get up for a few things, and international events like the Olympics and the World Cup are those events they get up for. The American fan base or whatever you constitute the American fan base of, is one of the most well-traveled fan bases in the world for these events, international events. The casuals turn in, or tune in, excuse me, every four years, whether it's the Olympics or whether it's the World Cup, they'll drop by. And if it's in their yard or close to them and they get a chance to see a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity thing like the World Cup, I think they'll show up. Yeah. Uh, It's worth noting also just the travel here, right? What's, What's the flight from L.A. to Seattle? Three about, hours, something no, like that? No, no, no. It's two, two, and a, two, 15, 220. So you got two flights, combined time, like less than six hours to get up and back. I mean, that's nothing. And it's going to be really important because travel is going to be a factor in this tournament, much as it was, if you remember, at the Copa America Centenario back in 2016. There was a lot of teams going back and forth. There was a lot of complaining then. So, yeah. and, if you, and if you see what we learned here, if you finish first in your group, you're going to be set up for a, a nice little kind of run without travel. But if you finish second, you got more travel. And if you're one of the third place teams that goes through, I mean, forget it. You're going all over the place. So very critical for both U.S. and Mexico and anybody else who wants to make a big we'll run. We'll talk about Mexico right now. Yeah, we will. But, but for you to finish first in your group, because you don't want to be going um, all over the place. The U.S. won't have to travel much in the group phase, but they don't take care of business. Hurricane, that could get ugly. Yeah, again, it depends on the draw, right? I mean, we're sitting here talking about them being, you know, the weaker fan base in their own country. Depends on the draw, because there are certain countries that draw just extremely well. If they're playing against the Brazil, if they're playing against the Mexico, if they're playing against one of those massive, mm-hmm. well-followed teams, yes. But I think you're underestimating the U.S. fan base here. Okay, maybe. I know the U.S. fan base will be excited. 
if what promises to be a special day, July 4th, 2026 in Philadelphia, if the U.S. is playing a round of 16 game there, could you imagine? I know it's all on the West Coast to start, but if they get to El Quinto Partido, you could have a spec. You want to have another 94 flashback. Same deal in 94, right? Round of 16, Brazil, July 4th at Stanford. What a special moment that would be. Yeah, all you need is for it to be England and uh, would make it special in Philadelphia, <laughs> the birthplace of, uh, of America. There you go. There you go. Uh, 1776 uh, 2.0. All right, let's talk about Mexico because we also have their, not World Cup schedule, but at least where the games will be played. Uh, as we mentioned, June 11th going to open the tournament at Estadio Azteca. Then they'll go to Guadalajara and then back to the Mexican capital to finish out the group phase. What are your thoughts? So... Briefly, just very quickly, I should say, when it comes to Mexico, I'm thinking like, oh, the inaugural game, you know, the Azteca, historical stadium, like how fitting. Uh, the most famous stadium in my mind, I don't think there's any, any debate with this, is Azteca in the world. It hosted 1970 World Cup, saw Pelé lift a World Cup trophy with that Brazilian team, which to this day, many think is the most attractive team to ever play in a World Cup. Fast forward to 1986, Diego Armando Maradona lifting a World Cup trophy with Argentina. Memorable moments like the hand of God, the, the play where he takes on seven, eight players, those English players, and finishes it off. You know, those special moments to think of a third World Cup special moment, like who will it be? And then I started thinking, well, dang. Mexico's only going to play in Mexico City Azteca, which is great fitting. And El Estadio Akran in Guadalajara? Like, no offense to Estadio Akran, but they're not even the most famous stadium in their own city. You know, that's Estadio Jalisco. Estadio Akran's it's a good venue. It's okay. But I feel bad for the good people in Monterrey in that amazing stadium. And those people, the most passionate set of fan bases, mm -hmm. Tigres and Rayados, not being able to see the Mexican national team play up close, I, that, it makes me sad for them because I know how amazing of a, of a plaza, a region that is. And I'll leave with this. Today, the president of FMF, El Presidente Rodriguez, he said this, that as you mentioned, mm -hmm. if they go in first place, they will not only have three group games where it's on home soil, but then after that, the round of 16, Estadio Azteca. And then after that, Estadio Azteca again to potentially go on to a semifinal game. They could have home field advantage throughout. And then guess what? Go to Dallas. Like if there was ever a time, ever a time in the existence of Mexican football to make a run catered for you to do well, it's now. It's now. The dominoes are lining up. Now, about the field, about the on-field product. Uh, remember, there is a round of 32 in the 2026 World Cup because there's so many teams. So really, Mexico would then be at home for round of 32, round of 16, and then quarterfinals, you're in the United States, which for Mexico could still effectively be home, but from quarterfinals on... You're in on, Dallas? That's where it's lining up. They'll be in Dallas. Okay, okay. But from quarterfinals on, all the games will be played um, in the United States. I have a similar question for you about Mexico from a stadium perspective, right? With the U.S., you can genuinely question, I think in Los Angeles, whether the U.S. will have more fans in the building than their opponent. Again, we'll wait on the opponents, but it could be an issue. That's not going to be an issue no matter who's me who Mexico's opponents are. However, Herc, we've talked about this a lot on the show. 
Estadio Azteca is not what it used to be. In fact, I think at times it has become almost like a weight on the Mexican national team. We've seen Mexico come to the U.S., and the fans seem to be more forgiving. We've seen even Mexico go elsewhere in Mexico and play and be better received. There is a pressure, a demand from the fans at Azteca. And I'll tell you this, Herc. If the Mexican national team has a similar vibe around it heading into the 2026 World Cup as it did heading into the 2022 World Cup, I'm nervous about those games at Azteca. I don't know how the crowd's going to react, especially if the first half goes bad. Because that crowd, I've seen it turn so many times over the last five or six years at home on this Mexican national team. And you think back to, you and I weren't around, but if you think back to the 1986 World Cup and what people talked about the advantages being for Mexico there, it was the heat, it was the elevation, it was the crowd. Those are things that I don't know that will be as much of an advantage for Mexico this time around. Fair, except it's usually two sets of Mexican fan bases. The Mexican fan base that goes to the Moleros and will fill up 85,000 people at the Rose Bowl to go watch them play against Cuba. I was there. And then the Mexican national team who boos their team for tying 2-2 against Jamaica in a half-full stadium, we've been there. I think you're going to see certain fans be priced out because Mm -hmm. other Mexican fans are going to go to a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see Mexico play in the Estadio Azteca in a World Cup. I don't think we're going to get the same set of fans. There are certain fans that are a little bit more forgiving. I think we may see those fans in Estadio Azteca. Are you saying it's going to be a corporate vibe, Herc? Because I, I think well, the same the will World happen Cup for is. the final. And I, think, yeah. I, think you, I think you know that. The, the World Cup is very much a corporate vibe. The Super Bowl is very much a corporate vibe yeah. in the stadium. Yep. It, it, it's... it's Enormous amounts of money to get there. Enormous amounts of money to buy a ticket. Uh, the, the, the better fiesta, the better party is outside of the stadium. It's in the streets. It's in the town squares. That's where you get the vibe. But as far as the setting inside the stadium, I mean, it, Super Bowl, World Cups, they're corporate events. I told you this. We were at League's Cup when Chivas, uh, when Galaxy, LAFC, and America played that, that double header. That was a better atmosphere than a Super Bowl, which was in the same stadium that I attended months before that. It's a total of 104 games, Herc, for the 2026 World Cup. 78 of them will be played in the United States, 13 in Mexico, and 13 in Canada. We got two years plus to build up to the World Cup, so we'll put it down for now. Massive Saturday, though, here on ESPN Plus coming up this weekend. We got a pair of title or potential title deciders in La Liga. Number one, Real Madrid against second place, Girona, who are two points behind. And then in the Bundesliga, we got Bayer Leverkusen, your league leaders. They're two points ahead of the defending champions, Bayern Munich. Coverage of both games starts at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. We got some bad news out of the Premier League for Matt Turner, United States likely number one goalie at the 2026 World Cup, at least as of right now. He was on the bench this weekend for Nottingham Forest, backing up newcomer Mats Sells, who started in a 1-1 draw against Bournemouth on Sunday. It's been a rough go for Turner of late between the benching and forced in a relegation flight, but that didn't stop him from talking to our Sam Borden today. So I guess I'll start sort of basic. How would you describe how your season's been so far? 
Yeah, I can't really describe it in one word. It's been um, it's been up and down for sure. I've had some really great moments and some uh, moments I'd, I'd like to leave behind forever. So um, yeah, overall, I think it's been a, a positive for me. You know, I've got to live the dream and, and play Premier League games, and uh, you know, really experience uh, all that this league has to offer in terms of quality and pressure and, and dealing with that. And I think. At the end of it all, I'll look back on this time and, and think that I, I, I've really enjoyed it so far. I remember before when we talked before the World Cup, you were talking about how your experience with that goal at Fairfield helped give you a different perspective on how, as a goalkeeper, you deal with you know sort of high-profile errors and you know in a lot of ways it was a formative experience for you. Has that helped you as you've had? some mistakes here that have gotten maybe more attention um, than like if you were a defender or a midfielder? Yeah, I'd say uh, in a lot of ways like I've been able to put those behind me. Um, you know, like goalkeepers all over the league make, make errors um, and you know that's because this league is so cutthroat and it's fast and the players are really good so you know, if you don't bring 100%, 100% of the time, you know, if you only bring 98% as a goal, as a goalkeeper, that 2% can get you found out. So, I've had some really positive games that have been overshadowed by, um, you know, a goal here that that maybe could have been avoided. So, um, yeah, obviously would like to iron those out and uh, have the chances to to continue to to push through it. And uh, yeah, I'd say obviously that experience definitely helped me. It's allowed me to block out noise and focus on, you know, my teammates, my family, and, and really what the coaching staff is asking from me rather than care about what everyone else is saying. Matt Turner profile has always been, you know, incredible shot stopper, less good when it comes to playing with the ball at his feet. When you look at your own self-evaluation, what do you see? Do you think that's Fair criticism? Do you feel like you've been unlucky in some moments, or how do you sort of self-evaluate your scouting report? Yeah, I'd say it's kind of felt like a little bit unlucky sometimes because everything that could possibly have gone wrong in certain moments has gone completely wrong. You know, um, sometimes as goalkeepers, you might get away with one or two, and, and it feels like this season I've gotten away with zero of them. And uh, yeah, that's been really frustrating and tough to take. You know, I want it to, I want everything to be perfect all the time, and I don't really feel like I've given the best of myself um, consistently uh, for the club, and that's really disappointing. And, and you know, it's disappointing for myself because I hold myself to a certain standard and, and demand a certain level from myself. And you know, I've been searching for for the answers and trying to trying to fight through the moments. And you know, I, I always end up back with family and friends and and my close circle of people that I can always rely on to just chit chat about anything and and. Uh, yeah, you get that love and support and, and just keep going. And I think it's all part of the process for me. Like the last few weeks, really, I, I've been enjoying my football again and uh, I'm playing with a smile on my face. And, um, you know, my performances have been steadily improving, um, you know, basically since I'd say since the Christmas time, um, I've been getting better and better. And, and uh, yeah, so now I got a, a real a real fight on my hands for for the position. And uh, I'm looking forward to it because this is the process. This is the process that I've been through many times in my career. And I'm sure we'll have to continue to go through no matter what. Whenever we've talked, it's always been like you're trying to sort of compete for something, prove something. What was your reaction when you heard that Forrest was bringing in Mets. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't blame them, given uh, given the way things had gone for me. But you know, at the same time, uh, I felt like I, you know, 
was doing, I was doing all right, you know, and I was uh, getting better and improving, but, you know, this is a results business and we haven't been getting the results that we probably deserve or need um, if we want to stay in the Premier League. So, um, listen, they're going to make the, the decisions that they think is the best for this football club and this city um, and people's jobs and livelihoods. And um, for me, I'm just going to have to continue to support the team the best way I can, but also uh, be ready to play if my number's called again and continue to work on the areas I need to and and uh, yeah like I said I'm no I'm no stranger to, to being in these types of scenarios I've been overlooked and doubted many times in my life and in my career and I would have got I wouldn't have gotten to this point um, you know if I wasn't steadfast and confident in myself so I have to continue and double down on myself and and try to get better and, and prove to these fans and the people of, of Nottingham that you know I can be somebody that has a real impact on this on this football club what has the manager told you about what he wants from you now? Just like, uh, yeah, <laughs> keep it simple. Uh, you know, keep it simple with the ball at my feet um, and make the plays that I can make, that they've seen me make day in, day out in training, uh, continue coming for crosses and dominating there like I have been all season. And, uh, you know, I think the biggest message is, is to enjoy and to, to smile while I'm playing. And I think that that was... Uh, a light that really clicked for me because I went through a phase where I wasn't really not even for the national team like I, I just felt more intense focus and and uh, I wasn't feeling that joy that that smiling that when I'm playing my best I, I usually have so um, for me it's getting back to that and, and that's been a real uh, good piece of advice I got from coaching staff. You've seen a lot of teammates on the other side uh, in the Premier League from, from the national team and now you've got one here when did you first hear about Geo coming and what was your reaction? Yeah, I uh, heard some rumblings about it. Uh, a friend of mine messaged me asking if it was true. I hadn't heard anything about it, so I, uh, I messaged Geo. Um, and true to Gio's nature, he didn't respond. So I thought to myself, oh, he didn't answer me? Yeah, it must be something to that. Um, but yeah, no, listen, he had to go through the process on his own, figure out what was the best move for him in his career at that moment. And all I wanted to offer him was, um, you know, an ear if he wanted to bounce any ideas off of or ask any questions about the city and the, and the football club. And um, he didn't use me at all. And, you know, he ended up making the decision to come here. And, and it's been really great having him having another American here uh, especially because Ethan left uh, so now I got I, I lost one American but I got another um, and yeah yeah he's a he's a, just a bright young player I'm excited to see how he adapts to the Premier League and um, and the experiences that he'll go through and I, I, it'll be cool to see him grow over this next few months and, and get to know him a little bit better how do you think Gio's game will fit with this team but also in this league yeah, I think, you know, the, our coach's message has been to play, to play a little bit more. And, and Gio's that type of player. He wants to be on the ball. He wants to make a, an impact um, on the game with the ball at his feet. And so I think he can really help us in a lot of areas by, you know, combining, making plays. And, and you know, once he establishes better connection with some of the players, um, you know, gets more familiar with their movements and how they like the passes, how, how they want the ball, um, I can see him being a really strong asset to us to our team. Do you see any difference between, you know, Gio Reyna in the run-up to the World Cup and obviously everything that went into that and who he is now? Absolutely. He's grown up a, a ton right before my eyes, it feels like sometimes. And uh, the, 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 the best compliment I can give him is that right now I see a consistent approach from him every single day. 
and you know he takes care of his body uh, you know he's in the gym when he needs to be he's eating the right things and he's really focused on continuing to get better and and learning the game and adapting and becoming a well-rounded uh, you know footballer but also person you know in his personal life so um, I think he's got a really bright future like I said and, and I'm excited to see what he can do for us when you think about your own situation here are you able to sort of divorce that from what you hope will happen with the national team or do you feel like playing time here is super important because I want to keep my job as the number one with the national team? Yeah, I mean, ideally I'm number one out and out playing every single game here and, and with the national team. So um, that's the perfect world scenario. But as we know, when it comes to my career and uh, most people's careers, it's, it's never a perfect pathway. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna do what I have to do here, fight my way through what I need to fight through. And you know, hopefully the national team call up still comes and, and my number's called and I'm ready to perform. Um, I think if, if that's the case and I have the chance to play a run of games in Copa America this summer, um, you know, they're really important games. I have to, you know, put my foot down and, and show to, you know, my teammates and the coaching staff that I'm, the, I'm still the guy to, to be the number one and, and to move forward uh, with me in between, the, in between the sticks. And if, you know, the summer were to go poorly, you know, then I have to reevaluate my club situation and reevaluate my situation and, and how to continue to stay in the national team consistently. So um, that's part of the reason why I made this jump. Um, in order to get into the conversation as the number one for the national team and now I'm sort of addicted to life in the Premier League like I want to be in the Premier League I want to be around it I want to continue to strive to get better and better and I think that this is the place for me to, to, to do that so um, yeah I think you know the national team is super important to me everybody knows that I want to play as much as I can like this past summer op opting in to play Gold Cup and uh, yeah so I'm gonna do whatever I can to to continue to push my push myself and push forward with the national team. Lindsay Horan from the US women's team yeah. last week she was quoted uh, in an interview saying American soccer fans most of them aren't smart they don't know the game they don't understand but it's getting better and better What's your thought on that perception of American fans or that, that take from a player on American fans? Well, first of all, Lindsay, you put me on the hot seat, so thank you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I think I sort of alluded to it uh, earlier in the interview where I talked about the fans here, and that's all I can really speak about is the fans here in England. And, um, you know, there is an intelligence about them, and football is ingrained in their DNA, and um, so they, they really do feel the emotions of the game and, and the ebbs and flows, and um, they understand, um, you know, what might be a difficult scenario on the pitch and how players solve it with short passing and get out the other side and applaud that rather than, um, you know, I think what she might be referring to is like, you know, the way people just talk about the game and say, oh, like you had a great game. But, you know, I, I think that too sometimes. If the commentator says I had a, a great game or a terrible game, you can't take that as, as the gospel. You have to be able to look at the game and evaluate it um, yourself. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to saying they're not intelligent. Um, you know, I think that there are s some places in America where you go and, and there's a lot of really knowledgeable soccer fans that 
um, you know, they want to see what's best. They want to see the team play a certain way and a certain style and a certain identity, and they want to feel uh, an attachment to that. And I think, um, you know, the fan base in the United States is, is amazing, and I, I look forward to and I love playing there every time I get the opportunity to. They did announce the, uh, the other day that um, the World Cup final in 26 is going to be in New Net Jersey. Life, yeah. Seems like you're a perfect guy to ask for your thoughts on, you know, when the U.S. team is playing in the final. Yeah. To get to play close to home, what's your take? Yeah, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Uh, I can't think of anywhere better in, in, in the country to, to have that. Uh, the melting pot of different uh, backgrounds and ethnicities and and people of different cultures coming together. And New York is the, the New York, New Jersey is the best melting pot of that all. So to have the World Cup final there. Um, it's super exciting. It's great for the region, and, and uh, yeah, it, it makes me uh, even hungrier to, to, to get there. How far do you think the U.S. needs to get to in that tournament to make the impact that, I mean... <laughs> the final, I feel like. I feel like people, and then if we make the final, it's winning it, you know? I think, um, you know, the fans, we have a really strong team. We have really strong players, and, uh, you know, tournaments aren't always perfect. But uh, I think the fans have a, a level of expectation that's been growing over the years, and um, I think it's coming to its boiling point when, when the World Cup is here in 26. And, you know, we have a young team that won't be so young uh, the next time around with, with World Cup experience under our belts. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to that for sure. But we still have uh, two tournaments to go before we, we get to that point. So. Uh, a few trophies up for grabs that we want to be able to lift for, for our home fans. Okay, Herc, so a lot of ground covered there by Sam Borden with Matt Turner. What'd you make of the interview? Sorry? What'd you make of the interview? Listen, kudos to Matt, because uh, it'd be easy to say when ESPN is looking for an interview with you in a moment like this, no, it's not the time to talk. Nope. Uh, I, I need to get away from this attention, from this negative publicity, and Matt Turner has never shied away. Um, he, he's never once said, I don't want to talk. He's never once said, I'm going to hide. He confronts things head on. It is who he is, and it's partly why he's been so successful in his career. Um, when confronting something, you either go through it or run away from it. And if you run away from it, you won't be better for it. He goes through it and becomes better for it. We've seen this many times throughout his career. Sam mentioned it to him, where he's got to consistently prove himself. This is another one of those moments. It'd be very easy when they bring in another goalkeeper for you to hide. He did not do that. So, you know, credit to him. Yeah. I give him credit for, for having the interview. This was something that was on the books. And, you know, as the weekend unfolds and he finds himself on the bench, it would have been very easy, not even for Matt Turner to back out of this, for Matt Turner to call an agent or call the club and, and have somebody else do the dirty work. But he sat and he answered the questions. The answer that, and he did so honestly, um, and I think the answer that tells you the, the kind of most important point about his season is when he tells you, I was doing all right. You know, he's kind of, he was kind of telling his reaction to the, to the signing of Matt Sells, and he says, oh, I was doing all right. Well, in the Premier League, that's just not good enough, especially for a team that's in a relegation fight. Uh, Herc, I think this is kind of desperate times. This is like the worst case scenario, right? He's, he's at Nottingham Forest. The window is closed. There's a clear number one ahead of him. There's an FA Cup game this week. I think they're playing Bristol City. 
That's almost – and let's see if he starts that game. He will. Let's, because you Matt think Sells so? Because Matt Sells and Giovanni Reina didn't get registered on time for that game, so he will start that game. They've still got the other goalie. That's the other goalie, the Black Demos, was on the bench this week as well. So correct, he's correct, still there. Correct. But I agree with you. I mean, this – to me, everything about Forrest and Forrest's season screams how inept they are. Uh, at the administrative level where, where they get two goalkeepers for the same price to compete with each other, never fully convinced on either. And then when both don't pan or neither don't pan out, they go out and get another goalkeeper and you create these controversies. It's never good. So uh, I feel for Matt Turner, and, and you're right, he, he showed you his cards when you asked him what he thought about his season. You can tell he thought he was turning things around. So it did look like a surprise when they brought another goalkeeper in. To his credit... He's been there before, and he's taken the right mindset with it. Mm-hmm. To what you're saying, Seb, it doesn't look good. Nuno Espiritu Santo, he was a goalkeeper. So if the new coach comes in who happened to play your position and now sees there's two goalkeepers who many thought were even and kept getting one game, the other got another, and he's like, no, I don't want either. I'm taking another goalkeeper, a third goalkeeper. I mean, the writing's on the wall. It's up to Matt right now to showcase himself the right way to find another team or something happens and regain that position. He's overcome adversity in the past. He already did it this season, right? He lost the starting job, won it back. If there's a little bit of hope, Herc, I'm looking at the next four games for Force in the Premier League schedule. It's not going to be an easy introduction for Sells. They got Newcastle, West Ham, Villa, and then your current league leaders, Liverpool. So, I mean, all those teams in the top nine, if things go wrong there, maybe there's an opening for Turner at Force, if not, it's the FA Cup or bust. I mean, he's got to start on Wednesday, and then it becomes a must-win. Because if you're eliminated from the FA Cup, where's he going to get his minutes? So, uh, desperate times, I think, for Matt Turner. But as he has proven in the past, when you think you can count Matt Turner out, yeah. he usually finds a way to get just a few minutes of playing time um, and change everybody's mind. Let's run it back with more Americans Abroad. Our very, very busy weekend in Europe. And we'll stick with Nottingham Forest. Gio Reyna, as mentioned there in the interview, making his Premier League debut in the 1-1 against Bournemouth Sunday. Got a grand total of 13 minutes, sir. Yeah, but it's what he does with those 13 minutes. I mean, only... It was 13 minutes. Well, hold on, let me talk. Did you watch the game? Only Gonzalo Montiel touched the ball more. Touched the ball a lot more than Gibbs White. I'm telling you, he looked like he wanted the ball. Wanted the ball. He was active. From what I hear, he got rave reviews in that brief cameo. I think we're going to see a lot more of Gio Arena. Forced a 16th in the table. Two points above the drop. Jedi Robinson with a wild and definitely intentional assist <laughs> as a Fulham played to a 2-2 draw with J.J. Watts Burnley. Yeah, how about the finish? Good little finish. Look, circumstantial, right? He's trying to clear the ball, gets an assist here. If there's one player that you're going to let this slide on, it's Anthony Robinson, who's easily been one of the best players for Fulham this season. The left back is attracting a lot of talent, or a lot of, excuse me, attention around the league. His uh, fourth assist of the Premier League campaign. Tim Ream also starting in that one. To the championship, Josh Sargent, his sixth goal of the season is Norwich City 1-2-1 over Haji Wright's Coventry City. That's strange. Who could have predicted this? Norwich doing well with, guess who? Josh Sargent, he's back! All right, listen, they're three points away from West Brom. West Brom, they're in that right now playoff spot. Three points. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm just saying, all right? I'm just saying. There's a lot of teams right in there, and uh, Norwich definitely one of them with Josh Sargent helping lead the way. In the Bundesliga, Jordan Pifok 
Ah, uh, no, not Jordan Pifak. Luca Della Torre will start in La Liga here with a goal and an assist as uh, Celta beat Osasuna 3-0 over the weekend. His assist came in the 24th minute to Jorgen Strand Larsen, and then Herky scored one minute after that. Yeah, but look at this. He's pulling the strings. Look at that. Going in between players, get the ball back. It's like he's a number 10 in transition. Here you go. Bring it back. And then he finishes it off. Look the way he celebrates. He understands the moment he's in right now, the zone. And then the finish, Seb. What do you want here? Crashing into the box. You take this. I got it. There you go. Luca De La Torre with one goal and three assists in league play so far this season for Celta de Vigo. Plus, he's been turning it up in the Copa del Rey as well. The 25-year-old American playing extremely well at the moment in the Spanish top flight. From the Spanish top flight to the German top flight in the Bundesliga where we find Jordan Pifak. As I mentioned, he had an assist for Borussia Mönchengladbach. They lost 3-1 to Bayern Munich over the weekend, but here's the play where he sets up Nico Elvedi in the 35th minute. Just as valuable. Listen, we both know that Jordan Pifak can score goals. He usually scores them in bunches. What do you do when you're not scoring goals tells me more. This is good for Jordan Pifak. The six goals, three assists in all competitions for the American. Yep, four goals and two assists in league play. From Germany to Netherlands. What a weekend for the Booth family. We'll start with Zach, the 19-year-old U.S. youth international, scoring a goal, his first Eredivisie goal for Volendam in their game against FC Utrecht on Sunday. Uh, listen, Zach Booth gets his goal right here on loan from Leicester City. Uh, the Booth family's on a fair. They're, they're watching both of their sons play. The younger brother gets a goal. All the hype's been with Taylor Booth, but it's the younger brother who gets the goal. That's right. That's Zach Booth with the goal, but Taylor Booth, the true star of this game. He had a hat trick, the first one here in the 38th minute, Her. Yeah, the first one is just silky. It's a good little finish. Uh, all three goals show me something about Taylor Booth, but this one in between three players, nice turn and finish. That's the first one, Seb. There it is. The first one came in the first half. The second one in the 57th minute. Oh, here geez. it is. Oh, Taquito! I didn't know they I didn't know they did tacos in Amsterdam or where is it? No, it's not Amsterdam, it's in Holland. Or do we still call it Holland? No, it's uh the Netherlands. Netherlands. It's Países in, uh, Bajos. This game was in Utrecht. Utrecht. And then this is probably on the goalkeeper, but when you're feeling it, you're feeling it. When you're hot, you're hot. Goalkeeper probably should have done better. But a hat trick for the man who not too long ago was reported to be looked at by Manchester United and Eric Ten Hag. Taylor came into this with zero league goals on the season, but gets a uh, hat trick against his brother and, as you mentioned there, with his family in attendance as we take a look at the Eredivisie table. Taylor and Utrecht are in 11th. You don't see them there. Zach and Volendam, they're in 17th out of 18, so very much in the relegation fight. PSV still unbeaten there atop the table after they tied to Ajax over the weekend. But let's hear from the stars of the weekend, the Booth brothers talking to ESPN Netherlands. What a day. Explain, is this a coincidence that you score a three when you play against your brother? Yeah, I think this was one of those days that the the result was written in the stars. You know, this was the first time that, that we've played on the same pitch as each other. And when he scored the first goal, um, I knew as the older brother the pressure was on. So I knew I had to deliver. Did you really feel that pressure? Did you really realize on the pitch if he scores, it's even more important than I have to score? For sure, for sure. Um, I knew when he scored, if I didn't score, that I was going to hear it until we met again. And who knows when that is going to be. So, yeah, 
I took it upon myself to make sure that uh, I responded. Um, there is hat-tricks and there is hat-tricks. Um, if you score three times, you might as well score really nice goals. Uh, do you have a favorite? Yeah, I think the second for sure. Um, the back hill was, uh, was a special goal for me. Um, I think it was the first one I've scored like that. So um, yeah, it was a good goal. So it means you're on the losing end. Although, although you did score first, that must be worth something. But I do know, because um, your coach, uh, he told us, that there was some sort of bet, right? Uh, you're going out for dinner. Uh, what's happening? Yeah, I mean, we have a bet together. But first of all, I'm disappointed from the team, especially because I think that today we had a couple decisions that went against us. Maybe a penalty, maybe it's not a corner. But I'm also, I'm really proud of Taylor because I like this kind of rivalry we have. And when I scored first, I know that the pressure was on him and I knew that he would have a response. So I'm very proud of him also. And I like that, that this will push me now to work harder. And I know next time we meet that I hope it's me with the hat trick and especially the win. But yeah, tonight I'll pay for dinner, but um, expensive. it's going to be expensive. Did you say that? Yeah, we're going expensive. <laughs> Do you decide where? Of course, of course. I don't know where yet, but uh, I'm going to make sure it's five-star and expensive plates. Taylor, your father was in the stands. Um, I think fathers usually support the younger brother. It works like that, right? Yeah, I think he was definitely for Volendam today. Uh, last match he was also for Volendam. So, um, yeah, I'm a mama's boy, so I think mom was for Utrecht, and we, we showed out today. Are they joining for dinner? Yeah, they'll definitely join for dinner. But I saw Dad, he had a Utrecht scarf and a Volendam scarf. So he, because my mom couldn't make it today, he made sure to, to keep it even. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go to the football, not, not just the family thing, because we saw you as a winger, we saw you as a midfield player, now we saw you as a, as a striker. Uh, where do you feel most comfortable? Um, I think I feel comfortable in all of those positions, but today we look to, to use my pace in behind, and I feel comfortable doing that because I did that a lot at Leicester and I feel like I can show my strengths either on the wing or in that false nine number 10 position because I like to create chances for the team and use my pace so I think that today um, I was able to, to do that and I wish that I could have done it more for the team. Yeah. Taylor, question for you as well. Um, last year before the injury, there was a lot of talk about you. Maybe he can go to a, to a really top club. Um, and then after the injury, you came back. I, I won't say you played badly all those games, but you didn't show the same thing as last year. You must have been thinking about that as well. Yeah, um, it's part of the game. Um, people can say I played bad. Um, but I didn't say that, I didn't say that. You said it wasn't the best, but that's, this is part of the game, you know. Uh, people don't know what go, goes on um, behind the scenes. Um, it also wasn't an easy start to the season, obviously getting injured the first game. We had a new coach come in. You have to change the way you want to play, different tactics, um, these type of things. So also getting my fitness back to 100% to is not something that's easy. So. If, if you score a hat-trick, does it mean you're back 100% then? I'm getting there. All right, shout out to the Booth family, Utah's finest, getting it done in the air division, which of course you can watch on ESPN Plus. On Sunday, it's PSV visiting Ballendam. So first place against next to last. Sunday, 10.45 a.m. Eastern time right here on ESPN Plus.
Inter-Miami's preseason tour rolls on, although stumbles along might be a better phrase to use. As you saw, Miami and owner David Beckham booed at their latest stop in Hong Kong over the weekend. Inter-Miami actually won the game 4-1, their first win of the preseason, but fans were reportedly chanting refund at the visitors as neither Lionel Messi or Luis Suarez played. Even the government getting involved, releasing a statement promising an investigation into the local organizer's contract. Herc, it has been anything but smooth. Your task here is to pick one word, just one, to describe Inner Miami's preseason tour so far. Good goal by Robert Taylor. We're not talking about the goal or, or their win. We're, Against even... the Hong Kong 11, which I guess is an all-star team for the Hong Kong League, right? There you go. Yeah. There you go. We're, we're sitting here talking. I didn't even know they won. I didn't even know they won. All right. There you uh, go. Circo but you know they got word. booed. I do know they got booed. And that's what made waves not only here in the United States, but everywhere. My word is circo, which translates from Spanish to English into circus. This is one of those circus. You know, we all enjoyed going to the circus when we were younger. Uh, sometimes you were lucky and you knew it was Barlow and Bailey's or Ringling Brothers. And you're like, this is going to be good. They got the acts you want to see. And other times they took you to that carny who had the... Bearded lady or some version of that, you're like, what am I? This is not what I signed up for. This is what we're getting here. We're getting this circo that involves Messi. Unfortunately, it involves Messi. These contracts that his ownership and Major League Soccer have put them through, where they fly seven different countries, three different continents, different time zones for money, parading Messi and friends around. But when it's not Messi, Nobody wants to see the friends. With all due respect to Drake Calendar, Sergi Busquets, or yeah, Sergi Busquets, or, or what is Jordi Alba, they're not there for you. They're there for Lionel Messi. So when he's not there, people will be upset. We all understand injury is part of the game. Mm -hmm. But if you're lying to fans, or if you're just trying to get them to come out knowing that Messi won't play, that's where it gets a little unsettling. That's where people get angry. Al Nassar. And Cristiano Ronaldo, they knew that Cristiano Ronaldo would not play in China. What did Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo and Al Nassar do? They told the people and the event was canceled. People were upset, but they weren't lied to. Mm. They weren't deceived. Yeah. So you've gone with Circo. You've gone in Spanish. I'll go English. It's Miami. I'll keep it simple. Disastrous, right? And disastrous, Herc, on all levels. Let's think about the injuries first, right? They've already lost Facundo Farias probably for the whole season. They've lost, who else? Kramaski. They lost Kramaski. He's got like, uh, like a hip injury. He's hernia. Got sports hernia. Yeah. He's out two to three months, right? So injuries right there, one of which is very significant. Then you've got the PR disaster. I think it's one thing to get hammered in Saudi Arabia on the field, right? Six nothing, not a good look, whatever. It's one thing to look bad as a soccer team. It's another thing to look like you're scamming people. And whether that was the intent from Inter-Miami or not doesn't really matter. You can tell when the government gets involved, Herc, that's what the people, that's what the fans in Hong Kong and probably others watching this around the world felt. And now things are getting worse. There were some doubts that they were even going to play their next game in Japan. Now it looks like they will play it, Herc. It's just not going to be televised. So this, oh. this globe-trotting tour for exposure to put Inter-Miami all over the world, except we're not going to televise it? 
I mean, this is really, really a bad look for Major League Soccer. Beyond what happened in Saudi Arabia, I think what we've seen here is even more of an embarrassment. And for me, the big question for the people at Inter-Miami is, why are you risking Lionel Messi? Because that's really, Herc, what's happened here. If we're told that for this game, he's not fit enough to play, and we know that Lionel Messi will play almost anywhere where you roll a ball out between two white lines. He is especially aware of his value to the fans. He tries to play in every game. So he's genuinely, I think, not fit enough to play today, but you're going to tell me that four days ago he was fit enough to play when we're also hearing reports that there was an MRI? How big must that bag of cash been from Al Nasser and Saudi Arabia to inner Miami for Lionel Messi that they were willing to risk this guy? I know MLS will do anything, anything for the almighty dollar, but to risk Messi in the preseason seems to me to just be incredibly short-sighted. So when we spoke about the odds to win Major League Soccer and win MLS Cup, mm -hmm. uh, I thought this would happen this summer. I factored mm -hmm. in Leagues Cup, Copa America. Mm -hmm. I was like, I thought there's no way they can keep Messi away from himself or save him from himself. He would have to play, and injury would follow a guy who's going on 37 years of age. I didn't expect it in the preseason. That's a sad yep. thing here. Yep, and it's not a good indicator of what's to come. If we're dealing with injuries now... It's not going to get a lot better as the summer and all these games drag on. A reminder, we'll be talking a lot about Inter-Miami, Lionel Messi, and all of Major League Soccer on the coming editions of ESPN FC, which you can catch seven days a week here on ESPN+. And I'll actually be hosting on Saturday and Sunday, so we hope to see you there. Joining us now on Football Americas, none other than our good friend and colleague, Jeff Carlisle. You can read his fine work over at ESPN. Dot com. Jeff, we were just talking about Inter-Miami. They've had a crazy travel schedule this preseason. You have as well. I was reading your article. You were writing about Austin FC, but now you're in England. What are you doing over there? Yeah, we're uh, the ESPN FC crew. Uh, the online edition is, is having a, a big series of meetings, uh, you know, plotting some strategy for the season ahead. So, And also to, to get some face time with, with some people that uh, we haven't seen for a while. You know, obviously... Uh, World Cups, we, we tend to run into each other, but uh, not so often after that. So it's a, it's a good opportunity to catch up with people and, uh, and, and, again, try to plot strategy for the coming season. You see that, Herc? When it comes to talking strategy, you see who gets left out? Yeah. You and me. Miss that get invite. the invite. Miss that one. <laughs> All right, uh, Jeff, let's dive into this MLS offseason because it, it feels like it has been very busy. Um, there are quite a few teams when you look across Major League Soccer that obviously needed to have some, some pretty major rebuilds over the last couple months. When you look across the league, who do you see as having had the best offseason so far, acknowledging that there's still some time to kind of make updates to your roster? Yeah, I mean, in terms of sheer volume, I would go with the Colorado Rapids. Um, you know, they, they've made a lot of moves. Uh, they brought in Zach Steffen. They brought in Georgie Mihailovic. They brought in Sam Vines, uh, you know, him coming back. Uh, they've signed Lamine Diak. Uh, so, and the list goes on. So, uh, you know, I think obviously Colorado had a lot of work to do. I mean, when you finish last in the Western Conference, uh, that's definitely a clear signal that you need to make some changes. So. You know, I think that, uh, you know, Porrick Smith and, and the crew over there have, you know, been very busy. And, uh, you know, they've definitely tried to target some past and present for, uh, U.S. internationals who might be struggling for playing time for whatever reason. So, uh, again, I think guys like Stefan and, and Mihailovic are, are big pickups and, and should really help new manager Chris Armas.
Listen, the bar is so low at, at Colorado, right? Chris Armas comes in. You pretty much have to start a knee. So everything looks like an upgrade. I mean, Andrew Gutman leaves, Sam Vines come in, comes in. That looks promising. But you bring in a Jordy Mihailovic to replace a Cole Bassett, who's, who's got a high ceiling. You know, there's some things there that I don't necessarily agree with. But in terms of volume, I agree. I will go with LAFC. If you see the quantity that LAFC mm. has brought in, I mean, David Martinez looks like a world beater for Venezuela right now in the pre-Olympics. He just scored against Argentina. Uh, Tomas Angel, son of the legendary Juan Pablo Angel that we know, the Colombian international. You can go to Omar uh, Campos, the, the, the talented left-back Mexican youth international who I thought was bound for Europe. They end up signing him. Uh, de la Valle, the, the Italian Lorenzo De la Valle who comes in from Juventus. And Hugo I mean, John Thorrington and LAFC cleaned house, and it, 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 the ceiling is, is high, and, and they keep doing it again. I don't know how, but they did it again. And without at least a final answer yet on Denis Bowanga and Carlos Vela. So they had those two guys. I yeah. can only imagine you're going to have LAFC as having had the best offseason. Jeff, what about the other side of the coin? Who still has a lot of work to do? And, and frankly, with not a lot of time to do it, we're at this point just over two weeks away from the start of the MLS regular season. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Toronto FC, and they have not done a whole lot. Um, you know, they, I think they brought in Debbie Flores, who's a you know a Honduran international midfielder. But beyond that, uh, you know, they there hasn't been a whole lot of movement. I mean, Lorenzo Insigne and, and Bernadeschi are still on the roster, and they've been angling to to get out for what seems like forever. So, I mean, you know, for Jason Hernandez, the, the sporting director, and John Herbin, the new manager, I mean, it's, they still got a lot of work to do. Um, you know, and, you know, obviously, you know, John Herbin has, has done a lot of work in the international game, but now he's at club level. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how quickly he can make an impact on that roster and how well he and Jason Hernandez can work together. Um, you know, another club that I think is, is still got a lot of work to do is Charlotte. Um, although they've, they've rid themselves of, of two DPs, Carol Swiderski is out, um, Joswiak is also out. Uh, so one would expect that if, if you're getting rid of you know those two guys, then there's some other shoes to drop in terms of people coming in. So we'll see what happens now between uh, you know at this at this point and then the start of the season. But um, again, I think Toronto is, is, is probably the biggest worry because. I look at that roster, and it's it's really no better than what I saw at the end of last season uh, when they finished bottom of the East. I will not disagree on Toronto just because of the bar they set for themselves. They got a massive payroll, and they got money to spend, and, and, and somehow they keep getting worse. I agree. Bill Manning, Manning excuse me, has some real pressure at Toronto FC. Uh, but Zaran Cornetta, the, the general manager, Charlotte, like I don't understand how you can – Turn the club over so many times and not have anything to show for it. They won 10 games last year. And you mentioned those two DPs. I mean, that's over half their goals. Uh, Swidarski had 12 goals last year. The other DP had seven assists. That's all, like, all their major offensive production out the window. And they've still not addressed how to get better defensively. They were one of the worst defensive teams last year. So I agree with both those teams. That's what happens when you have the agent-turned-executive. Huh? They want to see more and more deals. That's the, uh, always the agent mentality. Let's move away from players, agents, coaches. Let's talk about something we hardly like to talk about here on Football Americas, unless it's her complaining about the refs in Mexico always favoring Club America. And that's the referees, Jeff. There is some real talk that we may be facing a work stoppage with MLF re MLS referees uh, ahead of the season. What chances do you think that we start this year 
without the real MLS refs? And what kind of impact do you think that would have across the league? Uh, I think it's better than 50-50 that they, they strike a deal. Um, you know, there's still a few weeks left. Uh, you know, the last I had heard was that they, you know, they're continuing to negotiate and, and talking is better than not talking. So uh, you hope that the two sides can, can find a middle ground and get a deal done. Um, but, I mean, this has happened before. I mean, MLS has used replacement referees before. Uh, so, you know, that I think would would not be good for the game. It would not be good for MLS. Um, you know, as much as people complain about referees, and let's face it, that's, that's a favorite pastime of, of coaches, players, and fans. Um, I don't think you want that standard to drop even further. And, and that's what would happen if you brought in replacement referees. I mean, you're, you're talking about... Uh, officials that are not used to, to dealing in the professional game. And, uh, you know, as much as people complain, uh, you know, I think pro does a, a decent job of evaluating the available refereeing talent that's out there. So uh, I don't think that would be good for MLS at all. I think that's something that they should really strive to avoid. But again, this is a negotiation and, uh, you know, MLS may ultimately decide, hey, we did it before we survived you know, we can use replacement referees again. So, uh, but again, I, I think ultimately the two sides will get a deal done. And um, at least I'm hopeful. Maybe that's wishful thinking on my part, but I'm hopeful that a deal will get done before the start of the season. Take this for what it's worth. Pro referee, the MLS referees are the best referees in CONCACAF. Take that for what it's worth. Could you imagine in Messi's first real season when they desperately need a strike when the iron's hot, you have this replacement referees mm. after they've done this disastrous preseason tour, after the eyes of the world are watching Messi, after you've already had the bad PR stain of trying to kill the U.S. Open Cup, now this, now this denting your product, it would be a massive blow to the excuse me, credibility of Major League Soccer. I just think of all the times I've heard people complain about the referees when it comes to MLS. And to Jeff's point, could you imagine if they were even worse in one of the biggest seasons, no doubt about it, in, in league history? Uh, one last thing, Jeff, before we let you out of here. I don't know if Herc has any follows here. But one of the biggest names in MLS history is no doubt Bruce Arena. Now, of course, he left the New England Revolution under kind of unclear circumstances last year. And then there was a more lack of clarity around his situation. At some point during this offseason, we heard that he'd been reinstated by the league, then that was kind of walked back. What's the latest on Bruce Arena? And do you think we'll see him on an MLS sideline either soon or, or maybe ever again? That's a great question. Um, you know, at this stage, I think there needs to be a, a little bit more distance between, you know, his departure last year and, and when he takes his next job. Um, and there's going to have to be something of a public reckoning. I, I don't know that Bruce Arena can come back with with zero explanation for, for what went down. I mean, I think he's going to have to come forward and, and explain to everybody what happened. Um, you know, because as it stands right now, I mean, there's there's a lot of whispers, there's a lot of rumors, um, and very little of it can be corroborated. It's it's a lot of conflicting information, at least you know that I've heard. So. Um, you know, I think it, it's if Bruce Arena wants to come back, he's going to have to come out and explain himself. You know what happened, what steps he's he's made, um, what restorative steps he's made in, in terms of of moving past this incident. And then at that point, I think the public would be more accepting of of him returning to the sidelines. But um, yeah, I, I, I get the sense that there's still 
you know, a little bit more work that needs to be done before that can happen. Hold on a sec. Why is it Bruce Arena needs to come out and be transparent? Why isn't it Major League Soccer is transparent about what was actually said? This is just such a bad look all around. I mean, there are some instances where I understand there's a real victim here, but I'm having trouble figuring out who the victim is. Is it Richie Williams, who all of a sudden got outed from his coaching duties in New England and is now the New England 2 coach? The, the first team wants nothing to do with him. Is it Bruce Arena? who is being outcasted for God knows what because they won't tell us? Is it the players? Like We need transparency into what's going on. That's the most frustrating part. Bruce Arena now has to plead his own innocence in the court of public appeal because the league won't do it for him, because the league won't just be transparent about what actually happened. Mm. And that's one of the biggest names in league history. And... Uh... Beyond much of an argument, maybe the, uh, the greatest manager in American soccer history. All right, that'll do it for our time here with Jeff. Jeff, thanks so much for staying up late with us and safe travels back to the United States from England. Anytime, guys. All right, Herc, one more run it back before we get out of here from the Premier League and a guy that has featured quite a bit in this segment of late. Leon Bailey with a goal as Aston Villa won 5-0 over Sheffield United on Saturday. I mean, I've said it before. He's at peak Bailey. This is uh, shades of Leverkusen in the Bundesliga. Ten goals, nine assists, all comps. That'll merit uh, some big money. Yep, got a new deal there at Villa. Seven goals and six assists so far on the Premier League season for Villa, who are fourth, five points back of the top of the table. We got FA Cup coming up midweek on ESPN+. Plus. Bunch of replays from games that couldn't get decided the first time around. Wednesday, we got Leon Bailey's Aston Villa against Chelsea. That's 2.50 p.m. Eastern time when the coverage starts. And right around the same time, we'll also have Nottingham forced against Bristol City in the FA Cup on ESPN+. Plus. Could be Gio Reyna's first start with Forrest, and her could be Matt Turner's last start with force. No Geo, you didn't get wrong. registered. So Matt oh, Turner, right. no maybe. No Geo in the FA Cup. Yes. Uh, what are you wearing that? Any final words on today's edition of this Football This is Dirt Patch. And this is our, the best coach in the world. Carlo. Carlo to the boys. Carlo. All right. Uh, that'll do it for us on Thursday. We're going to hear from Claudio Pizarro, the Peruvian footballing Ooh. legend with uh, quite a bit of Bundesliga in his resume. So we're going to be looking ahead to a big game in Germany between Bayer Leverkusen and Bayern Munich. We will also, Herc, be reacting to the first games of this year's CONCACAF Champions Cup. He's Herc. I'm Seb. You look like Thanks a young Bebeto. We'll see you on Thursday.